So, um, welcome. Good evening. Um, as with Hashem, tonight, we're not going to focus on the parsha, and you would expect that I should focus on Shavuos, um, on the holiday coming up, Shavuos. By the way, I do want to announce that Mayon is going to have a fantastic, fantastic Shavuos program um, taking place. This weekend, extended weekend, Shabbos, Sunday, and Monday. And being that Shavuos at Mayan is, Mayan means a spring, a spring of life and a spring of teachings and Torah, of course. So the day of the giving of the Torah is a special time for all Jewish people. It has an extra meaning for us here at Mayan in that it's, the Baal Shem Tov's yard site on Shavuos, in addition to King David's yard site, Tavad HaMelech's yard site. And being that Mayon is both connected to the Baal Shem Tov, the Mayon Yisroel, the wellsprings of Israel, referred to Rabbi Yisroel Baal Shem Tov. So he's the, we might say, founding father of our shul. So we celebrate the yard site of the Baal Shem Tov with great fanfare here at Mayan. So it's been our tradition for the last couple of years to do, in addition to the full night learning, to have extra events honoring the Baal Shem Tov. Recently, as you all know, those who listen to this classes, I've been very dedicated and um, you might even call obsessed with Moshiach who is a descendant of King David, of David HaMelech. So since it's David HaMelech's yard site as well, it makes it even extra special. So, let me just announce the events. Matzah Shabbos, Saturday night, June 8th, starting at 11.45 p.m. Okay, because we have all-night learning. We're going to have a series of classes. Um, one at 11.45 by my esteemed son-in-law, Rabbi Mendel Zirkind. Fascinating class. On, it's called Forgetfulness, Which Human Flaws Are Excusable by God and Halacha and Machshava. That's an interesting topic. 12.55 a.m. I will be giving a class called No Food Allowed Beyond This Point. It's going to be analyzing the difference of Moshe Rabbeinu on the mountain when he didn't eat. Elio in heaven Permanently, when he ascended up in heaven, Elijah the prophet with his body and he didn't eat. And all of us very soon after the resurrection of the dead, we won't either eat. So the differences between that non-eating state, how do we survive and what's the, what's the significance of the no food? That's going to be at 12.55 and 2.05 we'll have another class by my other son-in-law, 
Rabbi Label Gnevish. That's starting, and it's called Why Learn the Age Old Debate About Torah Lishma. Learning Torah for the Right Cause. That's going to be at 2.05. And then at 3.10, we're going to have a class about the sound of the shofar. Magnificent sounds. From the shofar of Matan Torah to the shofar Shel Moshiach. Exploring the sound of the past shofar, future shofar. First day of Yom Tif, that's going to be Sunday. In, in the afternoon after Mincha, we're going to have a Fabring in here. With Rabbi Mendel Shapiro, the Mashpi on the Chabad Yeshiva, with the a bunch of Bachrim come along, and we have a very beautiful, a lot of Nagunim stories, teachings, that's to connect to the holy Baal Shem Tov's Neshama at the most powerful moments of Shavuos on the day of his yard site, at the conclusion of the first day. That event is at 6.15, is Mincha, and afterwards is the Fabring, and that's the only thing that's for men only. Everything else is men and women. Monday, June 10th, we have a dessert reception. And that's going to take place at 5.30 p.m. That's really beautiful. We have a symposium. Every year we study and analyze another element of the world of Hasidic contribution to Judaism. This year we're going to analyze Rebbe's and Hasidim. The whole concept of the attachment of, of the Rebbe and the Hasid. The Hasid-Rebbe relationship. And we we're having Rabbi Moshe Kesselman... Um, Rabbi Matis Dinkels and myself just talking about this could be interesting. Um, and a lot of singing be really beautiful. So join us. 7.15 will be Mincha and afterwards will be Nila Sachak. So all this is happening by Ezra Sashem in Yerushalayim this weekend. Just in case we don't make it to Yerushalayim on time, it's going to happen over here. Okay. That's that. Regarding tonight's class, we usually have a dedication and a sponsor. Tonight, today I was um, busy. I couldn't. Uh, I didn't look for a sponsor. So anybody that would like to sponsor this retroactively, you can let me know. If you're listening to the shir and you like the class, you say, that's my class, it'll be yours. Okay. That has been said. Um, I will cheat tonight, and I will not teach on the parsha. I'm also not teaching about Shavuos. So why am I teaching? I'm just teaching Torah. <laughs> oh, by the way, tonight is also Rosh Chodesh, so I want to wish everybody a very special new month. Um, no, uh, this past Shabbos we were learning Pirkei Avos, Ethics of the Fathers. And we started, and we were learning a Mishnah, and I found something really fascinating on that Mishnah. And I said, this is something that I must share with the greater audience than just the crowd that comes on Shabbos, because the Shabbos classes can't be, can't be recorded. So, being that they're not recorded... So I'd like to share this amazing thought that's very relevant to all of us, especially in the time that we stand right now. In history, we are now, we know there is six millennia. The world, as we have our Torah count, is 5,779 years old. We're in the year 5,779. Tav Shin According to the idea that the world is here for 6,000 years, and um, no, 
the world is here for 7,000 years. And after the 7,000th year, when we, hear the, when we hit the year 8,000, um, the world is going to metamorphosize into an, an entire different kind of an existence. Not that it's going to be destroyed, but it's going to metamorphosize and, and be elevated to a whole new reality that we can almost not even see it as a continuation of what was. So in general we say that the time frame for our existence, for our creation, is 7,000 7, years. The last seven, the last thousand years is Shabbos. A time of peace and tranquility and elevated existence. That's the post-Mashiach era. Not Mashiach. That's the post-Mashiach era. Then there is the pre-Shabbos, which is just like the week, we have six days and then it's Shabbos. So too, in terms of all of history, there is six millennia and then becomes Shabbos. Um, so where are we standing now in history? We are in the sixth millennium. So therefore, we are now on a Friday. In Friday itself, from the year 5,000 to the year 6,000 is Friday. In Friday itself, from the year 5,000 to the year 5,500, 5, which, uh, to the year 5,500, which corresponds to the year 1990, no, sorry, to the year 5,500, which corresponds to the year 1740, we were in the night time of Friday. And what I mean the nighttime of Friday means really Thursday night, because in the Hebrew calendar the night starts from the day from the day starts from the night before. So that was the nighttime of Friday. Then from the year 1740, we entered into the daytime of Friday. But in the year 1990, 250 years into the day of 19 of the Friday day, we hit midday. So now we are 29 years post-midday and we're moving very quickly towards Shabbos. And if we know, and if you're anybody that has experienced Shabbos knows that the time period between Friday afternoon, between Friday midday and Shabbos is hectic. And that really answers all the craziness that's happening in the world is because that's the hectic time. Because the world is in a state of transition because Shabbos is coming. The world is preparing itself now for Shabbos. Moshiach's reign is Friday, not Shabbos. Doesn't mean that Moshiach retires on Shabbos. But his main purpose is not the Shabbos. His main purpose is to fix the world on Friday to come into Shabbos. To help us make that last transition. So we have 221, less than 221 years. 220 years for the Moshiach period. But as everybody mentioned earlier, the change from weekday to Shabbos happens, the change from weekday to Shabbos happens in this period. Happens on Friday, not on Shabbos. So for that reason, we are really in a very, very, very special time right now. Because we are in transition time. We find ourselves right now in transition time between weekday between weekday and Shabbos.
And um, we have to learn about what is the unique um, opportunities, both challenges and opportunities that is given to us during this time of Erev Shabbos, late Erev Shabbos, when we have to put the final touches on finishing creation and preparing for the for the ultimate light of Hashem to be revealed, which happens in the Messianic age, and specially intensifies once we hit the, once we hit the year six thousand. But the world is going to dramatically the world is going to keep on dramatically changing over the next couple of years. We already see the drama in the last twenty nine years. The drama and it's picking up much stronger. It's kicking. It's it's becoming far more intensified in the last couple of years where you can see literally the whole world is becoming crazy because you can see that there's a whole change taking place because Shabbos is coming but what particularly is our service so here's an interesting Mishnah in, in the tractate of Ethics of Fathers that we learned last week the Mishnah says like this this is in chapter 5 of Mishnah Vav Asadat there are 10 things Nivru that were created the Ed of Shabbos Bein Hashmashes there were Ten things that were created on Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos means Friday, before Shabbos, the eve of Shabbos. Bein Hashmashas at twilight zone. And the reason why this, this, this was always exciting. Because God created everything during the week. But He left a few things for the last minute. And that's Friday when it was like twilight. It's not Shabbos yet because if it would have been Shabbos... God would not have been allowed to create then. He's that, the time that Hashem keeps the mitzvahs, Hashem was resting on Shabbos. So He didn't create, but it was like at the time that was like very, very close to Shabbos. And Hashem created then these things. The Mishnah is going to list ten things that God made then. Then the Mishnah is going to say, but maybe some say another two. So it's twelve. Then the Mishnah is going to say, but maybe there's another opinion that says another two. So the list is going to have at the end fourteen. 14 things that were left for this unique time. And again, what's special about it, what, what, this was always a special Mishnah, but what's really exciting is because we are now, in history, we are entering into that Bein Hashmash's time where, where Friday afternoon, racing towards the twilight zone of between weekday and Shabbos, and we have to find out what our, what, what's our unique challenge and opportunity. Okay, so what does it say? So the Mishnah says like this, the mouth of the earth, which is when Korach was swallowed. Korach who staged the revolt against Moshe. The earth opened up and swallowed him alive. That opening of the earth, God created last minute. The opening of the well in which the Jewish people was a stone that gave the Jewish people water miraculously throughout the time in the, in the desert when they wandered for 40 years. That stone that special opening, that water should come from a rock, was created um, on the twilight zone of Shabbos, Vakeshes and the rainbow. Vahamon and the mon, mana from heaven, the special food that we ate, heavenly bread. Vahamata and the staff, that's Moses' staff, that Moshe split the sea. Vahashamir, and, and he brought all the plagues of Egypt, and he, the staff, right? It's a very cool staff, right? That staff God created right before Shabbos. Now Shamir, this was a worm that has power to split stones. They used it in the temple in order to cut out the, the stones on the breastplate of the Kohen that needed to be engraved with the names of the Kohanim. They used a special 
um, a worm that would go on the stone and would make an indent. Also some kind of a miraculous type of a creature that it cuts through stone. These are all three elements related to the luchos, to the tablets. The tablets themselves and then the script of the tablets, the font, the script, God created that. Okay, these are the things that were all created last minute on Erev Shabbos. V'yesh Oymrim, and there are those, that's ten, ten things, we just listed ten. V'yesh Oymrim, there are those who say, Afamazikin, also the demons. Like, why couldn't God just miss that? No, the last minute he threw them in as well. He threw in the demons, the mazikin. And uk, um, No, no, no. The the the, the, the that is over here. I'm sorry. I'm pulling back. There's an interesting girsa because and the other mishnah is the mazikin I mentioned later. Okay. Yesh Let me pull back. There are those who say Eloi shall Moshe Rabbeinu's burial site. Moshe Rabbeinu's burial site, and the Eloi shall Avram Avinu, and the ram of Avram. Avram Avinu, who substituted a ram for Yitzchak when Yitzchak was being Akedas Yitzchak, and God said to him, Don't slaughter Yitzchak, instead, here's the ram. So that special ram, which we know its horns were used um, by the giving of the Torah, God used the left horn. And the right horn, Hashem is going to use when Mashiach will come, the sound, the sound of the shofar. That we're going to talk about Shavuos by night. Hopefully we'll hear the sound of the shofar before that. So these were another two items that are miraculous and they too were created during that time. The Yesh Oymnim, and then there are those who say, Afamazikin, also the demons, and va'af tzvas betzvas asuya, and also a tongue is created by another tongue. You ready to learn further? Good. Again, the Mishnah says also demons, according to one opinion, also demons, and also a tongue is created is made by another tongue. Or, let me say, for those who might not realize what I'm saying, tongue, uh, let's call it a plier. Pliers, a pair of pliers, uh, is made by another pair of pliers. And that's all the Mishnah says. Obviously, what does it mean? Since a plier needs another plier to be made, to make it, because you can't make a metal tool without a plier. So the question is, who made the first plier? You can't make a plier without a metal tool, without a plier. So who made the first plier? Ah, so you have to say that God created the first plier. So Hashem didn't give Adam Arishan a full toolbox, but He gave him at least one instrument in the toolbox, and that's a pair of pliers. Again, the Mishnah says, a plier was made by another plier. So who made the first plier? You have to say God made it. When did God make it? He made it Ben Ashmashes. He made it um, at Twilight Zone. We're going to focus our class on this mysterious uh, cryptic statement of the Mishnah about the pliers. And what does it have to do with us today? That this is the time that God creates the pliers. The first pair of pliers that creates 
that makes the other pliers. The tongue that makes the, the second tongue, the first tongue. Interesting thing about the Mishnah is that the Mishnah does, why is the Mishnah speaking in such a writ, in, in, in an interesting way? Why doesn't the Mishnah just say, also the tongues? The first tongue, the first pair of tongue, uh, a pe- first pair of pliers God made. The Mishnah doesn't say that. The Mishnah is actually only speaking about the second tongue. And the Mishnah is saying that the second tongue needs a tongue to make it. Ah, so you have to on your own come to the conclusion. If it's impossible for a human being to create the first plier, and we know we do have, ply- we do have metal instruments with pliers, it must be that God made the first one. So why is the Mishnah speaking in only, why can't the Mishnah just say, and also the tongue? Now it's interesting, the Gemara Masechtis Pesachim also says the same idea and speaks about this. And the Gemara over there does say clearly, Af Hatzavis, that God also made the, the first pliers. The Gemara doesn't speak in such indirect language. The Gemara says straight, also the tongue. Mishnah is usually shorter than the Gemara. So why does the Mishnah choose to, 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 to mention this? Even though you can say the Mishnah is trying to give you the reason why the tongue needed to be made by God. The reason is because since a tongue, you need a tongue to make a tongue. And what? So therefore you ask the question, who made the first tongue? So God made it. That's why the Mishnah says it like this. But still problematic because that still doesn't explain if we need tongues, why couldn't God make the tongues earlier? It still doesn't explain why God created the tongue at the last minute. It's like God was like sitting there, what else, what else? You know, you, know, you leave your house and you're going on a trip, you're thinking, what else, what else? What did we forget? What did we forget? Say, but God, going through his list and thinking, well, I'm creating a world now. All the tongues! So the last second he went and he made the tongue. Can't say that, right? It was all planned out. It's all with absolute precision. In general, we need to understand why did the God make the tongues at the last minute? Why did he make all these things at the last minute? Now, what's the question? The question is because the Talmud tells us there is a specific reason for the order of when, when God created everything. Hashem created the world in six days. The last thing that Hashem created, besides the few things mentioned in the Mishnah, the last thing that God created was the human being. The human being is the last. And the sages asked the question, why was the human being created last? And the sages answered, the reason the human was made last is because he should be able to enter into the suda. He should be able to enter into the meal, to the banquet, immediately. And he should find everything ready. It's very, very impolite to invite guests over for a banquet, for a nice dinner, and when they come into the house, nothing is cooked, the table isn't set, everything is still waiting, and everybody has to hang around for three hours until you pull yourself together and get the thing done. That's impolite. If you're inviting people to a dinner, you want to at least have the hors d'oeuvres set on the table. At least want to have you know, the, the, the table set, everything is ready, or if it's not on the table, it's ready to come out as soon as people will sit down. So God is also a phenomenal host. He's, he, he's a perfect host. He, he invites the human to his party. So he wants everything to be finished because we are the royal guests. Now let's understand something. When we say the party, 
God didn't, you're going to ask anybody in life, is life a party? Obviously, life is not such a party. Life has its ups and downs and its hardships and so on and so forth. But it is a true party. The real banquet of life is that we get to participate in creation. The banquet of life means the banquet of work. We get to produce. We get to contribute. When we were in heaven, before we came down, before we were created into this physical incarnation called that we are in a body, our physical lives, we were just beneficiaries of God's goodness. We couldn't contribute anything. We were just recipients. And that doesn't make us feel too good. So this is the party. The party is that we can participate. And everything that God created in the world, everything that God created in the world, needs and requires human participation. God created a perfect world, but Hashem wants us to perfect it to a whole different level. The, the, the last word by Shabbos, right before it says that Hashem rested, right? And, 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 and Shabbos, we say it every Friday night, it says that God rests from all the work that God created lassos to do. And the sages say on the word lassos to do, it means letakein, to correct. And the sages say that everything in this world needs correction. For example, Hashem gives us food. How does He give us food? He gives us wheat. But you can't eat wheat. You need to take the wheat, thresh it, take out the kernels, crush the kernels, turn it into flour, mix it with water, and then you can uh, knead a dough, and then you bake it, and then you can eat it. It's quite a lot of stages. That's called fixing it. And that's almost everything we do. All the, all the blessings that God gives us, God gives us wool, but we need to take the wool off the sheep and spin the wool and turn the wool into woolen clothing. And that's how we improve God's world. And that's how we feel as participants and even partners. In a sense, we can say that when God created the world and He, gave, and he brought us, and He wanted us to have whatever we need, Hashem wanted us to have whatever we need. And that's why He created all of our needs first. All of our needs. Everything we need we're, that we're going to live off. Food, clothing, shelter. God created all the materials for everything before. So that when the human being comes into this world, he has everything ready for his or her needs. But there's another need the most important need for a human being is to feel needed. Perhaps more than even food. We need for our psychological health, we need to feel that we have something to contribute. A person who feels useless gets very depressed and very sad and lives in a very pathetic state, a very, very pitiful state. There's no, you have no energy, no, no, no reason to wake up. A person has to feel. You do the person the biggest favor if you can give someone a job in which they can excel, they can do, they can contribute, they can make a difference. So when God puts us in this planet, puts us and invited us into this world, He created all the, all the stuff that needs fixing. Every, so hear that? He didn't just give us things. If Hashem just wanted to provide us with our needs with whatever we need to survive, 
He would have given, brought us to a table where the bread is made already, where the clothing is prepared already. Everybody just go put on your clothing. Where the, you, know, you have mansions and homes. Then we would have everything, but we would have no need to exist. But now that things are not finished, and we're all given our share of improvement that we can improve this world. Until we're going to have the perfect world. Which is going to be the sum, sum totality of all of man's toil and efforts. And that is Mashiach. And then we're all going to step back, all of us, are all going to step back and be awed by the unbelievable production of what we've produced, of the sum total of all of our productivity. We will see the most unbelievable world, which will be the, the, the culmination of all human toil and effort that has produced the world that God can reveal Himself in, which is going to be the Messianic world. And the world is perfect. No more illness, no more disease, no more whatever. And just a world of peace and harmony. And most of all, a world of incredible, incredible spiritual enlightenment. But that's going to be as a, as a, as a, 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 a consequence of all of our work. So on the first day of creation, when God invites Adam, Adam Arishon, into this world, he gives him a world with everything that needs improvement. Oh, that's called the meal. The meal means, that's what the sages say, he should come onto his banquet, be ready, everything that man could improve. So then you ask the question, how about the, two, how about the, uh, the pliers? Why are the pliers not something that God should have provided for the, for the human being immediately? Quite on the contrary, the, the, the pliers are probably the most needed thing that man will use to improve the world. He will fashion tools and instruments with those pliers. So the pliers are definitely something that should be part of the, the, the prepared world for Adam, that these are the things he will use for improvement. Why are the pliers created after the human being is created? Seeming to say that this is not part of man's improvable territory. It's not what we have to improve. Now let's take a look at the other ten things that were listed. All those other things, ten things that were listed, are all mostly miraculous phenomena. Since they are from miraculous phenomena, that's not our world. That's not what we improve. Miracles is what God provides. We don't have to, and we don't participate in the making of a miracle. God does. So we can understand why those things were not created before the human being was created. Because these are not things that we need as in, our, in our arsenal, in our, in our suitcase, for things that are going to accompany us in our lives that we need to work with. Those are things that God is going to do. And he was going to do it at a later time in history, whenever he was going to introduce Moshe's staff, whenever he introduced all the other things. That's a later time in history. Fine. So that we understand regarding to miraculous phenomenon. We even see, we even spoke about this other times. The, even though we improve the world all the time, a painter improves the world by painting a home. You're improving the world. A gardener improves the world by gardening. A shoemaker improves the world by shoemaking, making shoes, or a tailor by fixing clothing. Everybody, all human beings, all 7 billion, 700,000 
70, whatever. Last week, the world population hit the uh, 7 billion, 770,000, something like that. Those sevens were all lining up. 770 billion people. Yeah, something like that. 7 billion, 7, yeah, that's also very Mashiachtic. In any case, um, everybody's busy improving. Whatever, anybody that, ha- that is working, a contributor to society, that's all improvement. But the main, deep, and powerful improvement we make on the world, on the highest levels, are mitzvahs. The Jewish people were given like a very, 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 very essential internal role. And the in- internal role, the primary fixing of the world, is when a Jew does a mitzvah. Then we're literally transforming the cosmos through the mitzvah that we do. We don't see how we're changing, we're changing the world, but that's what happens. So when we take wool and we make it into tzitzis, like the fringes, the tzitzis that Jewish men wear, into a talis, that's huge. We take leather, we make it into the tefillin, that's an unbelievable, that's an improvement in God's will. We take wheat and flour and we turn it into matzah, that's an improvement. I'm sorry, flour and water. These are all fashioning the world to become godly. And even though it's interesting, the ultimate improvement, let's understand, what do we say when we say improvement? Improvement on the one level is that we make the world more livable, more hospitable to life, more convenient, easier to live. The one who invented the modern day plumbing system made a tremendous improvement on what once was when you had to go out to an outhouse. And now you have a flushable toilet. That's an incredible improvement in God's world. And I'm sure Hashem said, mm, when that was made, that's a really good idea. I was hoping you would maybe do that earlier, but it's good that you guys did it by now, right? Make your life far more convenient. So many other things, electricity. These are all improvements that are huge. Makes life that we can do. Let's understand something. Then we don't have to waste so much of our resources and time and effort on the simple things. We can free up our minds to hopefully do more important things and greater things because the basic needs of man have been made so convenient. So all of that is, but that's all improvement on a human scale. But then there is improvement on a godly scale. When we attach the physical universe to God by doing a mitzvah so that Hashem's could convey His energy through and, and be attached to a certain part of the world. Now even though we don't fix the entire, we don't, as mitzvahs, Jews, don't literally reach every aspect of the creation in, in, in connecting it to God directly. Right? For instance, we give charity. How much of our, and that's a mitzvah, you take of your physical resources of your money and you give charity. You're not taking all of your money. The mitzvah is to tithe, to give a tenth of your earnings. But here's what happens when a Jew gives a tenth of his or her earnings to charity. Not only do they elevate that 10%, they elevate their 90% as well because the other 90% of their earning that goes to take care of themselves and their family is also elevated into a godly connection because of the 10%. So through Torah and mitzvahs, we achieve an elevation, a purification, a connection. And this is the ultimate improvement that we improve this world and make it godly. So we know an interesting thing. You cannot do a mitzvah through a miracle. A mitzvah must be done in a natural way. That means if you get miraculous wheat, it's not kosher for matzah. The the wheat has to be natural wheat. 
like the, 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 the Mepharshim have a question, how they were able to use the Hanukkah oil for the menorah, to light the menorah, it was miraculous oil. And there's actually answers on that. It was natural oil, just given extra potency. Uh, you can't, why? That's the whole idea. The whole concept of Judaism, of Yiddishkeit, is that we take our natural resources that we have, our natural ability, and use the natural phenomenon in this world, and we use that, utilize them in, 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 in realizing and actualizing God's will through a mitzvah. And that's how we elevate the world. Miracles is not part of the stuff of the world. It's what God does. So that's when we understand why the ten things that are listed in this Mishnah, which are all miracles, are not something that needed to be here for when, uh, when Adam opened his eyes, when he was invited into the party. He didn't need to have that because that's not part of the resources that he needs. To, he, he and Chava and Eve need to perfect. They don't need that. But the pliers, the tongues, we would think is a very important item that needs to perfection and needs elevation. And why is that left out? So the answer to that is, it's a very deep answer. The Lubavitcher Rebbe gives such a beautiful insight. He says like this, the Mishnah actually, the, the, the ones who say that the pliers were also not part of the initial creations. The pliers were made last at the twilight zone, at the twilight moments right before Shabbos. This is the same Yesh Oimrim, again, like the version of the Mishnah that I quoted second, is that the same Yesh Oimrim also say, Af HaMazikin, also the demons. They lumped together the demons were created last, meaning after the human was created, and also the, the pliers. The second, which the Mishnah says, a second pair of pliers also needs a first pair of pliers. So the first pliers, the first tongues, were created last. So we have to say that the same reasoning, the same reasoning for the demons being created later, is also the reasoning for the pliers being created later. Now what that means is as follows. When they were created, they were created after man was already created. At first glance, we would think it means that man does not have to improve them. Man has nothing to do with them. You don't have to fix these things. The problem with saying that is that the, 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 the that, that Going back to when the, when the Pasuk says that Ashabar Elohim Lassos, that God created the whole world, Lassos to do, Litakein to fix. The Pasuk in Bereshis, in Genesis and Bereshis, says the word Lassos, Mamish, when it comes to Shabbos. That Hashem made everything that He created in order that we should, we should improve. Implying that the stuff that were created at the twilight zone, even though, in the twilight time rather, even though they were created after man, and therefore they do not go into the category of the general improvements that the human being needs to do, 
But we can't say that these are just gifts from God that we're not spo- hands off that we're not supposed to fix at all. Because if we were not to fix them at all, why does Hashem say after He made everything lassos to fix? That means that those things also need improvement. But we have to say it's a different kind of improvement. And therefore it's not part of the initial package that God gave us to fix. So this is the idea. One can really ask the question, what are we going to do after Mashiach comes? I mean, come on, Mashiach is going to come very soon and the world is going to be perfect. It's all going to be perfect. We'll all dance and sing and love her and, and, and run around and hug each other and be so happy and so excited and say, wow, 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 this is so fun. Remember the miserable days. Remember the dark days. Okay, a week, two weeks, a month, three months, a year, two years. Obviously, things will start getting boring, right? There's nothing to fix. Everything is good. Right? There's no hungry person. To, there's no campaign. There's no tzedakah to go raise for because no one is hungry. No one is lacking funds. There's no sick people to heal. Right? There's no uh, criminals to rehabilitate. There's no peace to make between wars that are... Like, what would we do? It's like the ultimate b- boredom. That's a question that many people have and... It seems that there's not going to be anything for us to participate in. But the truth is, that's not what it means that in the time of Mashiach, it's going to be Yom Shakula, Shabbos, Menucha, rest. Shabbos, for example, is a day of rest. We don't toil on Shabbos, we don't work on Shabbos. But it doesn't mean there's no work on Shabbos. There's no toil and there's no exertion on Shabbos. But it isn't not that there isn't any work. Those who are deeply in tune with the powers of Shabbos know that Shabbos is a time of intense work. But what kind of work? Spiritual work, not physical work. What we mean is like this. On Shabbos is a time that if you try, you put a little effort, you can access such levels of spirituality, such levels of deep connection and attachment to Hashem that is inaccessible the rest of the week. So Shabbos, there is avoda, there is work. And in order to have it, you have to, if you're laying in bed the whole day, you're not going to access anything. You have to get up, open up a siddur, and meditate. Learn, study, learn something godly, meditate, and when you will meditate on something spiritual and godly, your soul will soar to a, deep, to a higher level and a deeper connection. In order to do that, there is work. But it's a work of pleasure, not a work of exertion. The weekday work is to fix a broken world. When you're trying to fix a broken world, you're dealing with all the brokenness and all the dark stuff. Dealing with dark and broken causes a lot of, a lot of damage, so to speak, on the fixer. It bruises you, you get hurt, you get cut, you get... You're wrestling with the world. So it's amazing work, and it's satisfying, but it's also very exhausting and very, very, very uh, and dangerous and hard and sometimes frustrating. So Shabbos work is work, but it's a work of pleasure. It's a work of delight. Because you're not working in fixing darkness. You're working in accelerating in holiness itself. The work involves reaching higher and deeper levels of goodness. 
There is good, and if good is good, doesn't mean that better isn't better. Better can always be better, and higher, and more refined, and more elevated, and more elevated. So therefore we will say as follows. The stuff that were created, the stuff that were created before, um, before Adam is, is, is uh, born and brought, and brought to the table, comes in as we got, invites him into the banquet, are all things that need rectification in the current state of rectification. We need to separate the good and the bad. Like in today's days, I asked, what are we going to do after Mashiach comes? Let's go back to the question. Today's days, we look at every type of achievement as fixing a problem. We said earlier, you're feeding hungry people. You're healing sick people. You're bringing peace to a war, uh, to a war zone. That's the fixing. That's the accomplishments we see as, as now. That's what we expect. But after Mashiach comes, we are going to be very, very busy. We're going to work very, very much. But it's going to be work within the world of good. We don't understand it today because as soon as something is good, we're happy already. And we don't realize that there is so much deeper good that we can dig out in this goodness. But it's a, it's, it's a work of pleasure. And that's the difference. Because the stuff that are created at the twilight zone, right before Shabbos, which corresponds to the time that we're in right now, are already transitioning into the Mashiach form of labor. It's not the exile form of labor of fixing things. It's a higher level of elevation. And the way we fix it, we fix these things by tapping into a much, much, much deeper and higher place within ourselves. The part within ourselves in which we aren't really human. Which is an interesting idea. What do I mean by that? The word Adam, which is what humans are called, we're called Adam. If you take the letters Adam and you rearrange the letters, you get the word Ma'od. Mem Aleph Dalet. Adam is man. Rearrange the letters, you get the word Ma'od. Ma'od means very much. And you can't much a lot. Now the real meaning of much, a lot, really means what? When do you say you have much? Much means more than plenty. Much means like a lot. When do you really have a lot? So you can't really say a lot. Like if you have, like, like he said, you know, if you have seven here in your soup, do you have a lot? A lot of here in the soup. Seven here on your head. Very little, right? So it, it's relative, right? You can't really say a lot, a lot of what? A lot of money? Well, it depends, you know, what your range, you know, for, for some people, a thousand dollars is a lot of money. Now for others, a million dollars is nothing, right? So a lot. The true meaning of much means really infinite. So when we say a human being is both Adam, Adam means, the word Adam means a certain fixed reality to the human condition. It represents the, the finite human. Oh, the human being can develop himself and grow with more knowledge, more understanding, more achievement, but yet finite. 
rearrange the letters Adam and you get the word Ma'od. Ma'od means much, which means that the human being can, be, can exist on two levels. Man and Superman. Those are the two, the two levels of a, human, of a human's existence. Man and Superman. What does it mean to be Superman? To be Superman means that the human being is no more finite, they're infinite. How does a human become infinite? That's attributed to the godly spark that's inside of us. When we uncover the divine spark that's with, 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 within us, and we elevate our spark to become included in the greater God, in the Ein Sof, in Hashem Himself, then a human becomes a channel for the infinite, and then there's Superman. And now we can say as follows. All the stuff that God created in the six days of creation, and then He created the human, the Adam, to fix that and to improve that. That improvement is made by Adam, by the human being human. Based on a human being with human abilities, this is what He can fix. And that's all the natural resources that we were given in this world to improve. Everything in creation is given to man to improve upon. La sos to fix. But then, as we enter into the zone that we're in right now, Ereshab is Benashmashis, close to the twilight zone, here is where we all have the ability to strip, to break free from the constrictions of being human, and to unlock the the other words, letters, and rearrange the letters that the human being becomes so devoted and elevated and committed and unified with God that we're not called Adam anymore, we're called Ma'od. And then and only then we can repair and elevate those last things that are mentioned in the Mishnah that require repairing, but they can't, they're not part of the meal, they're not part of the of the, of, the, of the regular Suda, they're not part of what God created before Adam, these are the last things that are only improvable at the last minutes before Shabbos. When we're entering into Shabbos, which we know Shabbos, we're elevated from human to superhuman, into the divine. So let's take a look at these two things and understand what they are. One of them is the demons. Humans can't fix the demons. God created certain dark forces in this world. What does it mean to fix something? To fix something means to help it realize its potential. To help it realize its potential. So, um, a, 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 for example, a plot of earth can be a gorgeous, beautiful landscape. It has the potential. It has to be the right soil, of course. Then by working, so a gardener comes and he uncovers the potential of the earth to give forth and to, and, to, and, to, and to grow forth this magnificent garden. Beautiful trees and, and flowers. It was all the potential in the earth. It has to be developed. The gardener himself was born with certain talent and he went to school and the teachers that he had and educated him brought out this skill of becoming a, 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 a super gardener. And now he can develop and design this magnificent, beautiful garden. Botanical garden. Made by this gardener who, who worked on it. So you realize this is extracting the skill, taking a potential and realizing a potential. 
There is gold, it's dirty, it comes from the ground, the miner pulls it out, and now comes a goldsmith and can fashion and can make a beautiful necklace, can make a gorgeous uh, vessel, a magnificent candelabra made out of gold. That's taking the potential and realizing it. What do you do with demons? You're going to bring out their potential? In essence, the demons are, are wicked entities that are meant to damage. Bringing out their potential means bringing out their potential to be demons and to be horrible. It's like a sophisticated killer, a sophisticated murderer. It's like, you know, think about the murderers of the old days of 5,000 years ago. They were limited in how much people they could murder. Then when they got, God forbid, sophisticated tools, like the Nazis had, sophisticated killing machines. That's, God forbid, that's taking out a potential of evil. I mean, the demon can't be fixed. Because he's, we're talking about entities that God created as damaging beings. So these are mazikim. So therefore God does not create them in the six days of the week, which we said before, these are things that we, they have certain good potential. We need to remove the, the, the husk. You need to remove, like as we said before, the flour, the wheat has good potential. It can be a delicious challah. That wheat can be a delicious challah, but you have to have the skill of making it the challah. You have to take away the, you have to crush it, you have to, you have to sift it, take out the dirt, the, 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 the pieces that are not fine, turn it into fine flour, and then knead it with the dough, and then bake it the right way, and make it exact till it becomes a delicious loaf of bread. Or the, uh, a great, one, uh, uh, um, uh, a scrumptious piece of challah. So that is from what? From the work that we've done. We've brought out the potential. Teachers have students, and they can bring out the magnificent, beautiful, wonderful talents and abilities of their students. That's the improvement that man has to do in this world that we're busy doing all the time. Demons, there's nothing to improve with them. Therefore, they're not created in the six days. But why were they created? And not only were they created, but God created them in the last second. It's like it would have been great without these demons. Why did he create them? The answer is, from Hashem's perspective, we know that de- demons, we say, that when Shabbos is going to come, the day that the great Shabbos, the Pasuk in, the, in last week's Chumash, it said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, put to rest a wild beast from the land. And there's two opinions in the Talmud. One opinion is that God is going to eliminate all creatures that are vicious, that are killing entities, that are, de- that are demons, so to speak. There's another opinion in the sages that God will transform their nature. So ultimately, if, we, if we're going to go with the opinion that all demonic forces are going to become forces of goodness, what does that mean? If demonic forces become forces of goodness, how will that happen? Is that because we realize that they had an inherent potential for good? It's just that we had to uncover that potential? No. When demons become angels, when they become entities of powers of goodness in this world, it's because they were metamorphosized not because they are developed. You can't raise a demon and eventually educate him and educate him until he's going to become good. It doesn't work that way. 
The only way it can change is God with his infinite power can transform a force of darkness to a force of goodness. It requires a total metamorphosis. It's not a continuation of what was before. And therefore you can't see it as a potential being realized. Where do we find such a phenomenon that we can actually change something that is inherently bad, 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 and has no goodness, but it can be changed? There's a concept called that when you do a sin, and then you, you do tshuva, you ask for forgiveness, so you can take your, your um, intentional sins and turn them into mistakes. Unintentional sins. When you ask for forgiveness and you do a repentance, one can take their really ugly actions and make them less ugly. They're considered unintentional. They're considered accidental. And you're not held as accountable. But then it says, if you do a very, 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 very intense tshuva, tshuva out of great love, the power of tshuva is so phenomenal, it's so powerful, it's so strong, it's so unbelievable, that it can actually take the sin itself and transform it into a merit. Not into a lesser evil. It can turn an act of darkness into a merit. A person did something really bad, and then they did tshuva. That very bad thing becomes a force of goodness in this world. It's transformed, it's changed. Nature has changed. How is it possible? God said that's inherently bad, don't do it. I condemn it. I see it as wrong, 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 wrong. I hate it, I despise it. And yet when a person does tshuva out of great love, they can transform. The answer is that's not humanly possible. Humans can't do that because there is no potential in an Avera to become a mitzvah. What is evil is evil. It's not like, oh, if you polish, it's like the Avera is an Avera, and if you polish it, and you scrub it, and you, and you melt, or you put it in, or you, or you, um, you know, uh, dissolve it into a liquid, liquid form, and you change it, you can change its form and shape and turn it into positive. It's not that way. It's evil material. It's an evil substance. It can't be fixed. So how can you fix it? God can redefine something because He's omnipotent. He can do the impossible. Okay, that's God. How can we do it? The answer is, since we all have a little spark of God inside of us, and when we're doing tshuva, you know what happens? Tshuva out of great love means that the spark of the divine that's within our heart, because it was so suppressed, because it was, it was so suffocated, because we haven't been... How, why does a person do tshuva? Why does a person repent from great love? It's because they feel that their soul is suffocating. They feel that their life, they've been gotten so, God forbid, they've gotten so dragged, so pulled away, so disconnected, to the point that they feel that any moment, if they continue down this horrible path... God forbid they're never coming back again. They're being cut off and they're, 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 they're severing themselves from Hashem forever and ever. And they can't bear that thought. And suddenly their soul emerges from, from, from beneath all that pain and cries out, God, I want you more than anything else. Now that's the exposure of their pintle yidas before, the spark of their soul, the spark of the divine. It comes out and, ah, oh, at this moment they're not human anymore. 
For, for that moment of tshuva, they have so merged with God that at this moment they're in a purely godly state. When in a state, not Adam, they're not Adam, they're in a state of ma'od. Ma'od means very much. At this moment they have infinite power and they can go back and just like God is beyond time, past, present and future, so you can actually dominate over time, over an action, over an activity that's in the past, which once, you know, you say, don't cry over spilled milk. You can't fix it. It, it. it happened in the past. It's over. You can't fix something that happened in the past. But that's not true. You could fix something that happened in the past. Through tshuva, you could. Why? Because you ascend. The person ascends into a unification with God. And God transcends God time. And God is omnipotent. And you can take something that's essentially bad and make it good. And that's how eventually all mazikin will be fixed. All demons will be fixed. Whatever demons mean. It used to be that when you walked at night, it was dangerous. You could encounter a demon. Thank God we don't really encounter demons anymore in that kind of spiritual form. Ghosts and demons, people had all these stuff. They were very prevalent way back. Now there's much less of them. They might be somewhere still, but they're not so much. But in any case, when Mashiach will come, or right before the Giyula, the the demonic entities in the world will be transformed. How are they transformed? Not through the regular service of mankind, which is, what we said before, a service that's based on logic and reason, step-by-step approach, where you're serving and, 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 and see certain goals and aspirations in life. And you're moving step by step. That's not how you change the past. That's how you work out your life to be a godly, to be a, 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 a productive life. Tshuva comes from a place inside of you much deeper than your mind, much deeper than your intellect, much deeper than your human faculties. Tshuva is tapping into that point within you that's one with God, transcending the, 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 the human condition. And you reveal yourself as a godly being. And that's how you can change even the mazikin. And that's why it belongs not to the stuff we do during the weekday. It belongs to the Shabbos experience. This will also explain the whole idea of the tongues that were created by the other tongues. And, 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 the, and it's the same, the same core idea, but in a, in a, in a applied to a different arena. And this is as follows. Um, Generally in life, we all are given certain certain opportunities to make a a difference in, in the world. And we ascribe importance to the various different um, um, opportunities in our life based on how we see these things contributing to, to the ultimate uh, realization. Say when, we have, when we have our heads on straight, when we're coming from a Torah perspective, we learn Torah, and we have a, a Torah mind. So we look at life, and we say, okay, what's my most important part of the day? What's my most important part of the day? If I have a Torah mind... The time that I spend studying Torah, that's my most important part of the day. And really, I should give it all I've got. The time that I spend um, in prayer, that's my most important part of the day. The 
time that I am actually physically doing a mitzvah, that's a very, very deep moment. I'm lighting Shabbos candles Friday night. I should really do it with all my concentration, all my heart and soul, all my being, all my presence. Be completely mindful about what I'm doing because I'm in a moment of attachment to God right now doing an incredible thing. I have a baby and I'm going to make our baby a bris. Which, which father, mother is not excited, circumcision. It's, it's painful on the one end, but it's like such a mitzvah. It's a once-in-a-lifetime mitzvah. You're so present, you're so dear, you're so involved because it's an opportunity. The holidays come, the special mitzvahs we do on the holidays. You're going to eat your first piece of cheesecake or blintz. You're going to give it all your thought, right? Because it's a big mitzvah, right? But then there are all the stuff that are not directly mitzvahs. They're like what we might call the mundane, regular stuff in life. So what we know, those things, if it's a part of a Jew's life, they're also supposed to be done with intention that they're going to support my mitzvah observance. Why do I work for a living? Why do I work for a living? I work for a living because I should have money. And why do I live? I live so that I can live and serve my Creator. That's why I live. Oh, so therefore when I go to, I go to work every day, let's say I have a 9 to 5 job, and I get to work, and I sit down by my desk, and I have to start answering emails or, or doing some other stuff, whatever it is that I'm doing. And if I'm a Torah Jew, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I can kind of like take away the intensity of it right now, because I'm not praying, I'm not learning, I'm just doing work. And this is not directly involved in serving God, it's a secondary. Because what's going to happen is through my work I'm going to make money, and the money I can use to support myself, and with that support that I have, I can buy food for Shabbos, I can buy matzah for Pesach, I can send my kids to educate them in a Torah school, give them private education, which costs a lot of money, so for that I need to work my job. So if, if I'm coming from a Torah perspective and I look at, at, at the value of what I am doing the rest of the day, it has less value. And I obviously, I'm not doing it with the same enthusiasm, spiritual enthusiasm, like I am doing a mitzvah. And then we understand that there's many, many levels. There are things that are even farther and farther and farther and farther away from the final, from the final goal of a mitzvah. You understand, there's, the first, there's what we might call the first tier, Things that you're directly doing a mitzvah, the moment you're doing a mitzvah. There's second tier, things that are a preparation for the mitzvah, but they're not yet the mitzvah, but they're a preparation for the mitzvah. Give an example, Pesach is there. So the moment, the highest moment of Pesach is, you're eating your matzah. That's like really, really intense. But we also know preparing for Pesach, cleaning the house for chametz, is also Pesach preparation. It doesn't get the same kind of concentration like the eating of the matzah, because it's not yet Pesach, it's only a preparatory state before Pesach, so I can't have that same concentration and that same excitement and that same involvement because it's a step away. And then there are, how about when I'm working an extra two hours so that I will have the extra money that it takes, or let's say I, I can't take off from my work, but I have to then give extra hours so they'll give me off of Pesach. Can I give that the same importance like the eating of the matzah? Obviously not. Why? Because it's three tiers away from a mitzvah. Or in, the, or in the terminology of the sages. The sages have a concept called heksher mitzvah. There is mitzvah and there is heksher mitzvah. Mitzvah means the actual mitzvah. Heksher mitzvah is the things that you do that enable a mitzvah. For example, let's talk about circumcision. Circumcision you're allowed to do on Shabbos. Even on Shabbos you're allowed to do circumcision. So the sages have a question, how about if you don't have a knife... And you want to cut wood. The person wants to chop wood. 
so that you can burn this wood to per- make coals. Yeah, it, there's no knife, but there's metal. There's no knife, there is metal. And there is a, there is a blacksmith. And the blacksmith says, I can make you a knife. But I don't have, I need an oven burning, so I should be able to make you the knife. For that I need hot, hot coals. And I ran out of coals. It's Shabbos, we have no coals. So the Talmud has a question. Am I allowed to cut a tree, chop wood, give it to the guy, so he can make the coals, and then these coals will provide the heat that will enable making of the knife, the knife that is needed in order to make the circumcision. So there's two opinions in the Talmud if you're allowed to a hechsher mitzvah, if you're allowed to do that as well. But you see the idea, there's certain things that are a few stages away from a mitzvah. Now from the perspective of, from the ordinary human perspective of human thinking, we always attribute value to things based on how important of a role it is to the greater in, 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 in any Hollywood production. You have so many people involved. But then you have the main actor and actress. They're like, they play the major role. Now obviously you can't get the movie done without the extras. You need the extras. Bottom line, without extras you're not have no movie. You need people sitting in the restaurant that are going to come in where the, where the actor is going to sit. And you need like 10 other people around that they're just there for props. But they have to be there. Bottom line, you can't have the movie without these people. Bottom, but on the other hand, they're very, very unimportant. So the actor feels like, oh, I'm like the whole, he's the one, he or she's the one who walks away with, you know, with, 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 with $10 million. The other ones get paid, whatever, they actually don't have to pay them anything probably because they just want to be on the movie set and so on and so forth. But they're like, they're, so from the perspective of, and the same as in a, anything you're doing, the perspective of, human perspective, we ascribe value the closer something is to, to the realization of the final product has more value and therefore gains more energy, more concentration, more investment of our time, of our resources, and, our, and let's say we are more excited to do it. Then there are like secondary stuff and third stuff which we ascribe less value and ultimately there are things that we feel like are very, very unimportant and therefore we're not really excited about doing them at all. That is when we are functioning as an Adam, as a human. Then we work the system that way. But when we are so connected to God, and bottom, bottom line, we realize that there is a gazillion pieces, in order for, or a, a gazillion, gazillion pieces that need to come together in order for God to have His ultimate dream. Of course, there is the tablets that Moshe is going to bring down from heaven. How big of a role does that play in the ultimate, uh, in the ultimate plan and the ultimate scheme of things of this world becoming godly? Moses bringing the tablets—that's a super role in the ultimate fashioning of this world. How about Mashiach getting, getting off his donkey with the chauffeur and grabbing the chauffeur and putting it to his mouth and blowing that blow that's going to finally put an end to the exile and reveal God. Wow, that's super, super important. These people are playing major roles, Matisio and the Maccabees, freeing, liberating the Beis Amigdash, Esther going to Ahasuerus. Super roles, super things. How about your daily three psalms that you say, begging God that you should be able to connect to Him? How about your little mitzvah, your little, not even a mitzvah, your little... 
thing that you're doing that enables you to live your life so that you can later go ahead and do a mitzvah. Compare it to these big super things. This earns us a million points, and this earns us maybe a percentage of a point. Right? That's the way it works from the hierarchy, from the system of, of intellect, of reason. But if you're looking at the whole entire picture, and what you care about is that God's dream of having a home in this world should be realized, which is the purpose for creation. And you really, 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 really are so devoted to God himself, not to what role you're going to play, but to God's realization, then you can volunteer for the least of jobs with the same enthusiasm of the highest of jobs. Because what matters most is that the final realization what Hashem wants should happen. And if you're so devoted and so dedicated and so committed to what God wants, then the, then the va- intrinsic value of the pieces doesn't matter to you. It's that I know that this needs to happen, and if it needs to happen, I'm here to do it. And I'm here to do it with the same enthusiasm, like the Kohen Gadol going into the, into the Holy of Holies, because both of them are the will of God, and you can't differentiate. You realize, in order for a person to have that, you can't be human, you have to be so devoted to God that you become part of God. It's only in God's heart that the tiniest little thing can have such significance. If you are one with Him, then you don't care about what role you will play. You care more about that the ultimate dream should be realized if you are Him. So it requires a total, a total assimilation of the person being one with Hashem to care so much about these little details. And that's the secret. Then I'll, I'll, I'll finish with a story and then we'll bring it back to the tongues. The Talmud tells us that Rebbe Chia, was the great, great sage, Rebbe Chia, realized that in a certain place there was a lack of books for children to study Torah. So the children didn't have Sfarim, they didn't have teachers, and they didn't have Sfarim, Chumash, to learn, the little kids. So what did he do? He went and he got flax, flax, and he planted this flax. He got flax seeds. And he planted a whole bunch of flax seeds. He planted the flax seeds. Came back a couple of months later. And himself, he cut the flax seeds. The flax plants. Then he took the flax. And he processed them. I don't know what exactly it takes to process flax. And he turned them into, and he, and he wove nets. Nets. Like a net from these flax. And he set up these nets as traps to catch deer. Okay, so obviously this is probably taking him about a year and a half already by now. Okay, he had to grow the flax, then he had to weave him into nets. It must have taken him a couple of months till he made the nets. Then he had to put them out and wait till they catch deer. How long? I don't know. Maybe because he's such a big tzaddik, all the deer came running. I don't know, but it took him a while to get the deer. Then he took the deer and he had to kill the deer and skin the deer. And on those skins he had parchment now in which he wrote the Chumash. <laughs> he wrote all the Chumash. And then he said, wow, I have all these beautiful new Chumashim. Who wants to come to school? And he brought all the kids together and he got them teachers and they started learning. And he got, now you ask a question, come on, are you a smart man? What's with delegating? Can't you delegate? 
There's so many people that will work on minimum wage. And that's how every sophisticated businessman use. Don't spend time on. He's the great rabbi, the great sage. Get some other people who can do that. You do the greater thing. Delegate. The answer is true. Delegation is a very important thing. From a human perspective, delegation, and we should, in our lives, we should usually delegate because if we don't delegate, if you can be doing something much better and you're doing something lesser, then, then, then it's a waste of resources, a waste of time. Others can do that. You're right. But if it's an emergency situation, if you're operating from a place that children need to learn, and it's, God, how can Jews, how can we have a city without a teacher? And you're suddenly, as we said before, that 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 pintalayid, the part of your neshama wakes up where, where you're not you're not you're not operating through the sophistication of a human. You're operating from a place of with all your ma'od. You're no more Adam. You've become so inside of you is burning God's desire, not your desire, God's desire that Jewish children should learn Torah. At that moment, every little detail is just as important. And, and, and Reb Chia himself can go and plant the seeds and make the nets and do the whole thing. And, and they're all equal by him because it's all part of the fulfillment of what the Eberster wants. So you see, that's the secret about the tongues. A tongue is a vessel that has nothing to do with it on itself. The whole thing about a tongue, a plier, a tongue and a plier, is to make another vessel. Another vessel, a plate you eat on. It has a direct uh, a, a, a cup, a flower plant, a flower vase you put in flowers. A tongue has no usage to it other than making what? Other utensils. So the tongue represents the idea. Let's see, understand. Tongues represent the idea of things that are here to serve something else. Second tier, not first tier. Direct Involvement, second tier. Ah, that's the tongue. That's what the Mishnah says. A tongue needed to be made by another tongue. How much more so the first tongue? The first tongue had not... What did the first tongue make? If the first tongue is busy making vessels, there are going to be very little vessels. So what is the first tongue doing? The first tongue is only going to do one thing. Going to make a whole lot of tongues. So the first tongue is not even making a vessel. The first set of pliers is dedicated to make another plier, which the other plier you can maybe use to make vessels. So the tongue represents what? Something farther, 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 like an a insignificant, not an insignificant, a, pre, a, a stage that's so pre-pre the product, the final product. Right? And what does the Torah say? That God, who made the first tongue? God Himself. See that? God Himself made that tongue. That means that from Hashem's perspective, even the most secondary role and or secondary of secondary going back, back, back is all something that God Himself would be involved with. But in order for us to fix that tongue, meaning to be involved with the work of making tongues or working with the tongues, it means a certain elevation, a certain refinement of our service that it's not part of, it's not part of the, the work to bring ourselves to be able to make the tongues. That kind of, that, that kind of a devotion 
is not part of the regular refinement that we do during the time of the exile. Because during the time of exile, during, I mean, during the whole history, human history, as we said earlier, we're busy fixing things as human. And what are we fixing? It's part of the refinement of making from bad good. The idea of tongues is not anymore. It belongs to the Mashiach kind of refinement. Mashiach refinement is you're good already. You're doing everything perfect in your life. You're learning Torah, you're doing mitzvahs, you're only doing good things. But you have a set of priorities. And you're stuck in, the, in that set of priorities. Which means that your service to Hashem is still hinged on thinking about what kind of role. I want to play role A. I want to play role A. You ever have that with kids or with you want to do a project with people and there's a bunch of people and everybody's needed and there's, there's the cool jobs that everybody wants and there's the not such cool job. And usually it's the guy who cares the most about the project that will take upon themselves to do the non the non-important jobs because they just need to get done and no one is going to do it so they'll do it. This is the idea. The idea of tongues is that we, after a certain, when we're done refining ourselves and refining the world, we will have a certain Mashiach refinement. The Mashiach refinement is a much higher refinement than refinement that we have now. It's not about stopping to do bad stuff and doing good stuff. It's about improving the good that we do that we're not doing them with selfish motives, we're doing them completely selflessly. And if we're doing them completely selflessly, we can engage in making the tongues as well. Even though the tongues only make another tongue, and that tongue will make another tongue, until you get the final product. So you're not playing the most colorful role. You're not the one being applauded. You're not the one that everybody's saying, wow, you were the one who... You did all the stuff in the background that no one notices. And you yourself maybe look at as not so important. But again, that's the question. Is it about you or is it about God's ultimate desire being realized? And if it's about God's ultimate desire being realized, that requires, that requires a devote people that are so devoted to Him that they become Him. And that's the meaning of, it's not part of the Adam fixing, it's part of not man's work, it's part of Superman's work. Superman is when we're beyond being man, when we're being so unified with our Creator. When Moshiach will come, we will all achieve such a level of devotion. We don't have to be the one in the spotlight. We don't have to be the one who gets that. Everything we're doing is so infinitely important because this too is necessary. Imagine being able to live your life that every moment of your life has the same concentration like Yom Kippur like because, because you realize it's so sacred. Even when you're doing something that is as simple, so mundane as maybe brushing your teeth or clipping your nails. Or, but that too is part of life. Sacred life. It's all part of God's home in this world. It's all part of Hashem's wish. Every tiniest detail of it. It's part of Hashem's... One tiny part missing, or one tiny part not being perfect and beautiful is, is, is ruining the whole thing. And therefore everything is infinitely important. And having that joy in everything that we're doing is awesome. And that's our lesson from the tongues. That we merit being, and it must be, that since we're now living in that twilight zone, that we're capable of transcending that, that, 
that, that system of value that, 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 we, that comes from our mind and devote ourselves from a place that's beyond limitation and beyond boundaries. May we merit already to experience the ultimate um, oneness of Yidin and Hashem, which is the idea of Shavuos in our marriage to God. We become so unified and so one and uh, celebrate it in the third base of Migdash. May it happen now.